Good morning, church. Uh, this morning, I want to begin with a scripture reading, but instead of asking you to open your Bibles, I really want to ask you to uh, respond this morning in a responsive reading. Uh, the song we just sung comes right out of scripture, Psalm 136, and I want you to uh, I want you to imagine these words as we read them and the thanks that we're giving to God. I want us to give God that thanks this morning. This, this, this psalm, Psalm 136, has been sung throughout the ages for, for centuries. The people of God's prayer of thanks. And there's a response that I'd like you to give that's right there in the text. The leader uh, says one thing and the, and, and, the, and the people respond with, his love endures forever. And so these words are going to be on the screen, but stay with me with the words that we're thanking God for. And I want to ask when it says, uh, congregation, that you would respond, his love endures forever, okay? Hopefully we can do this, right? We got, some, we got a little bit of rhythm maybe in this church, right? All right. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. You, you got it. This is great. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders. Who by his understanding made the heavens. Who spread out the earth upon the waters. Who made the great lights. The sun to govern the day. The moon and stars to govern the night. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. And brought Israel out from among them. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder. And brought Israel through the midst of it. But swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings. And killed mighty kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites. And Og, king of Bashan, and gave their land as an inheritance, an inheritance to his servant Israel. He remembered us in our low estate and freed us from our enemies. He gives food to every creature. Give thanks to the God of heaven. That's it. Now today, you've already preached the sermon in a way. You're not done. I'm not the only one who gets to preach today. You're going to get a chance to preach. And some of you are thinking, great, that is not my gift. I don't want anywhere near a mic or a stage. That's, that's just fine. We're not going to ask you to do that this morning. But I want each of you to have a part in this sermon. If you don't do your part, this sermon's going to be terrible, okay? So it's not on me this morning. The goal today is for you to take the list that's in front of you, says, make a list on it. His love endures forever. We've said these words again and again. It should be in the row in front of you, or, or maybe you can find one in a row next to you if you're on a front row somewhere. Uh, 
I encourage you to get up and, and find one because what we're going to ask you to do is to fill out this list. Uh, I want you to fill out this list as a gratitude list today. Now, um, on most Sundays, uh, you know, it may be hard to remember the three points, and some of you like to write those down. I'll have three points today, which is a rare occurrence. Usually most Sundays, I'm just trying to make one, which seems good enough. But this morning, the point's not necessarily to write down those three points. What I want is a filled-out list this morning. And so don't feel like you're, you're not doing your job if you're not listening and paying attention. Hopefully some things will, will come. And some of you who are kinesthetic learners, this is your dream today because you usually never have something that we hand out to you. And so you'll be able to pay closer attention to some who are visual or auditory, maybe a little harder today. But, but your job today is to fill out this list to make sure that whatever it is that you're grateful for, that, that you would write that down today. And if that's all you get out of the sermon, that will be enough today. Today's sermon is about gratitude. And no one gets to listen only today. We all get to play. Let's pray as we uh, open our time. Father, we do give thanks to you. and We believe your love endures forever. This morning, uh, this will be an easy practice for some of us. Because for years, some have practiced the spiritual discipline of writing out gratitude lists, and it's salvaged their life. It's kept their joy in moments where it's been hard to be joyful. God, I got to confess, these last couple of weeks, in the midst of all that our country's gone through and, and just the stress that we all feel in some way, that this practice has saved me as well. So God, today, uh, we give our thanks to you by listening. We give our thanks to you around a table. We give our thanks to you in writing what we're grateful for and in writing these words, we pray that you would, you would find our praise to be something that's on our lips, God. So would you move our hands today to express our praise to you? It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, I'm a preacher who loves to preach in series format most often, because I would hate to get up every Monday and think, well, great, what am I going to preach this week? But this is an opportunity between series to preach a one-off sermon. I got to tell you, I you probably may think, well, this fits the season, gratitude, you know, Thanksgiving's coming up. That, that's not why I selected this topic. I selected this topic because there's no discipline in my life that is forming me more in the way of Jesus than writing down on a daily, regular basis the things that I'm grateful for. And I'm going to tell you, each day I wake up to write that list, uh, that list gets longer, and I find more joy in my life. And it's a practice I'd love to see us all engage in more deeply. This is the number one discipline I felt called to work on in my life this year. And practicing this discipline has changed my life. I got to tell you, I'm, I'm grateful for so many things. I want to express to you today how grateful I am for the elders of this church. They're good men. Their wives uh, support them in great ways. And I want to let you know, I'm, I'm so grateful for them, the way they walk with us. Um, you've chosen wisely because in our group. It's not some process that someone else decides. We discern from within this body. And one of the things I said to you as we were selecting shepherds last time was, uh, who is it that you'd want to show up on your doorstep if you were caught in trouble or caught in sin uh, to be the one to come and confront you lovingly about that sin? That was one of the things I said, and that, that takes a specific person. And I'm grateful for the ways these men do that and so many other things. I'm also grateful for our church staff, and the ways that they continue to do their work, I, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for this group. I, I'm grateful for this church family. In so many ways, this, this family over the last two and a half years has been such a blessing to our lives, and I'm grateful that our kids this morning will be instructed by, 
by, by loving people to walk beside them. I'm grateful for the ways we get to walk in, in our connecting point group with people that we're growing to love and know their stories. I'm grateful for the encouragement and for the challenges that you all uh, continue to call to me as I seek to live out this way of life before you and call us to the message of Jesus. These are just a few of the things this year that I wanted to express to you that I'm grateful for. So how's that list coming so far, by the way? Don't, don't get caught just looking at me. You're supposed to be writing, remember? Don't forget this. One of the ways that gratitude is changing me, actually there's three ways I want to show that grat- share that gratitude, I think, shapes and changes us. And this is really more autobiographical this morning, just letting you know what it's changed in my life as I've sought to carry out this practice of gratitude and counting the things I'm grateful for. One of those things is that gratitude is changing the way, it's training my eyes to see the world in a new way. And if we aren't careful to train our eyes, our eyes will be trained for us in this world. Because we live in a culture of consumerism. And consumerism is an ideology that trains my eyes to notice what I don't have. Because consumerism depends on consumers who continue to purchase a never-ending supply of goods and services. The greatest enemy of the consumeristic economy is contentment. And uh, the American economy would would hit a full-scale depression if the American people ever developed the virtue of contentment. Because if we're content with what we have, we don't need new things to make us happy. And if we don't need new things to make us happy, then we stop buying new things. And if we stop buying new things, then inventories don't need to be restocked. And if inventories don't need to be restocked, then manufacturing would come to a halt. The whole system is dependent on our discontent. So how do companies ensure that we're discontent? Well, enter the advertising industry, right? And if you're in the advertising industry, you know this better than I do, right? This is our job. To somehow, it's kind of my job too, right? To let people know you need the gospel. You need the love of Jesus. There's nothing evil about letting people know what they need most, but this is part of how the economy runs, right? Because advertising is successful when it leaves us discontent with what we have, thinking we need to acquire more. Because when we're discontent with what we have, we buy new things to make us happy. And if we buy new things, then inventories need to be restocked. And if inventories need to be restocked, then manufacturer keep, manufacturing keeps turning its wheels. I mean, does anyone have any kids this season who are watching television and every single commercial with a toy on there, they say, that's the one I want, Mommy, that's the one I want. Daddy, this is just the refrain of television. I'm grateful for movies right now because we just keep them away from the commercials that way, except for those few on the front end, right? And as I think about that, I think about my kids, I think, where did they learn this discontentment? And then I realize where they did. Because they watch us, and they see that we're discontent, and that we continue on the same path as well. So how do I learn to be content? How do I learn to develop that, that posture in my life of contentment? The Apostle Paul believed that contentment was a path toward joy, a, a path toward uh, fulfillment in our lives. In fact, that was the context of one of the most famous Bible passages that's in the Bible. If you have your Bibles, open with me, if you would, to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And many of you memorized this Bible passage. Many of you have seen it on the eye black of some sports athletes over the last few years. That's what it says. Paul writes, 
I can do all this, or in many translations, I can do all things through Him who gives me strength, or through Christ who gives me strength. Now, most of us have uh, assumed or been falsely taught that Philippians 4.13 is a passage of uh, accomplishing any great feat that we put our minds to with Christ behind us. Um, And certainly there are many great things that Christ can empower us to do. But that's not what Paul's referring to when he writes this letter from prison. In fact, I want to back up just a few verses to see what the context is that Paul's writing to. It begins in verse 10 is where I'll start reading. Again, Paul writes these words. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in one. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. See, this scripture that he's writing, this letter that he's writing to the Philippian church is about contentment in this section. This is a scripture about contentment. Paul is writing of all places from prison, trying to encourage a group of Christians who are a small fraction, a small minority in Philippi, living against the the grain of the sand. And and he's saying, I've learned to do all things. I've learned to do all this. I've learned to be in prison, to, to be in need, to have plenty, all those things. And I've learned to be content. Even that I've been able to do. Jesus Christ who gives me strength. This is actually a gratitude list that Paul's in the middle of writing. By the way, keep reading, writing your gratitude list. Don't forget this, okay? He's, he's thanking the Philippians for contributing financially to Paul while he's in prison. Listen to what it says as we read on in the next verse, verse 14. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. How did Paul become content? He's writing his own gratitude list while he's in prison. He's thanking the Philippians for what they've done to sustain him. He's thanking Christ, who's been allowed him to do all this, to be content even in the midst of not having enough. Part of his contentment comes from gratitude. This is a true statement I want to hand over to you this morning. Consumerism trains our eyes to see all that we don't have. But gratitude trains our eyes to see all that we do have. It's really important for us to get this in the season. Consumerism trains our eyes to see all that we don't have. We, we look at all that we don't have and think we need to acquire more. Maybe that's the secret to happiness. But Paul says, no, I've learned to be content. I've learned to have joy. Earlier in chapter 4, he says, rejoice, have great joy. How's he able to say that? Because he's thanking them. He's expressing his gratitude to a group of people who have sustained him more than any other church uh, that he works with. Gratitude trains our eyes to see all that we do have. As I was writing this very line in the sermon, thinking, man, that was a good line. I wonder what's coming next. I had a notification on Facebook. So I flip over from writing on one screen to you know, turn on my laptop to the other, and, and I looked at that notification, all of a sudden I got distracted from my sermon. It's amazing what Facebook can do in sermon writing. And I look over to the right side of the page, 
this was, this is no joke. This is the ad that was right there. Your next house. If you can dream it, we can help it happen. So I spent the next four hours designing our next house. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Fortunately, I was writing a sermon on gratitude and realized, but isn't this the subtle way it happens? Right now, some of you are thinking, oh yeah, what do we need to do to make sure our house is in order so that we can, just a simple mention sends us on a, a whole trail because it's amazing how discontent just arrests us. Even in the middle of writing a sermon on gratitude, here's this ad and it's so easy to, to be diverted to think about what we don't have, to think about what could be next, rather than saying, God, thank you for what we do have. And even me mentioning that probably sends you on a trail because it's so easy, so subtle. You see how quietly discontentment just creeps up on us in our lives? By the way, how are you coming on that gratitude list? I hope we're at least halfway through at this point. Keep writing that list. Let me say it again. Consumerism trains our eyes to see all that we don't have. Gratitude trains our eyes to see all that we do have. Earlier we read from Psalm 136, and scholars tell us this was probably designed for use in public worship. This was probably a refrain that the people of God came back to. Probably had song to it. I didn't try that this morning to make up a song. I let Adam do the singing, and I try to do the preaching, and we don't mix those things up, which is a good idea. My wife uh, reminds me of that regularly. That's a good idea. The songs like this one, they train our eyes, don't they? They train us to see better. Psalm 136, the people of God are, are singing a song within their assemblies to remind them of all that God has done. Because isn't it so easy to forget? They forget that God created the wonderful creation we enjoy. And, and Psalm 136 takes them right back there. They, they forget... Uh, about God bringing them out of the land of Egypt just soon after they're crying, wishing they were back in Egypt because there was enough to eat there. And, and this psalm brings them back to remember what God had done to free them. And this psalm reminds them that God has given us the land as an inheritance. And psalm 136 draws their attention back to remind them of all that God has done. You see, Psalm 136 is Israel's gratitude list sung Sunday after Sunday to train them once again for contentment rather than discontent. Why do we need to remind ourselves of God's work in our lives? Because we as humans forget, don't we? (laughs) So easy to forget. We forget the, the answered prayers, don't we? There was a time where we thought, I'll never doubt God again after this prayer he's answered. And then, then we forget, don't we? It's so easy. Or we forget the miraculous moments where God shows up and and proves who He is and then we lose it in the midst of the life that we live. We forget all that we have because we focus on all that we don't have. That's number one. Gratitude trains our eyes for contentment. Second learning I've had, another way gratitude is challenging me is in the way it combats my entitlement. Gratitude combats our entitlement. In fact, I would say that the opposite of gratitude is entitlement. When we have a, a right to something, when we're, we feel entitled to something, there's no reason to show gratitude, is there? If you feel like you're owed something, if someone's in your debt and they pay that debt back, what do you, I mean, you might say thank you, but really what you're saying is it should have been sooner. <laughs> it's, it's a right that we have, we feel like we're entitled to. There's no joy in receiving back something we feel entitled to. When we're entitled, we lose our joy. Because if we get what we expected, then it's just, 
That's just expected. Nothing to show happiness or joy over. Things happen just as they should have. We take things for granted in those settings. But what happens when we expect much and we receive less than what we expected? We're upset. We let people know our displeasure. We become grumblers and complainers. This is what happens in the wilderness, right, with the people of Israel? Think about all that God had done, the ten plagues. God had freed them through the Red Sea, all these wonderful things. And then they grumble and complain, wishing they were back in the place where they'd been enslaved. And we become like Israel. We become like that in the wilderness. Because entitled people are not joyful people. Entitled people may be cynical. Entitled people may be critical. But they're never joyful. And this is why when we go on a mission trip, the people we serve are often more joy-filled than what we find deep inside ourselves. Because entitlement is a joy killer. I mean, we walk into other contexts where entitlement's just a thing that isn't a thing. <laughs> We're reminded again of the joy that's there that we never would have imagined with people who have far less than we do. So create, creating a gratitude list actually gives us more joy in our lives cultivates joy in our lives. Again, it trains our eyes to see all that we do have rather than all that we don't have. The last way I want to talk about what, how gratitude is changing me. Gratitude is changing me in the way it has helped me to resist sin. Now, this may seem like a strange one. It's not exactly a, a sequitur that's common or you would think of probably, but this is what I found in my life. Sounds a bit odd perhaps to you. Sin, well, how's that connected with gratitude? And I want to explain that by going back to the very beginning of Scripture. So turn back from Philippians back to Genesis, if you would, in your Bibles. In Genesis chapter 1, the very beginning of this whole thing, God creates the world and He calls it good. Genesis 1 gives us a a cosmic picture of God's creation. But in Genesis 2, we see the story retold, and it's zoomed in a little bit closer, isn't it? Zoomed in on the garden that God's created with Adam and And I want you to hear again this picture in the garden in Genesis 2 of what God tells Adam, the command that he gives here in Genesis 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Imagine with me this scene, right? Every tree is available in the garden except, except for the one. Seems like a good deal, doesn't it? <laughs> Much better than this is your tree and there's no others. But as humans, where do we place our focus? Do we place our focus on all the good that's been given to us or do we tend to focus on the one prohibition, right? The one thing that we can't have. That's what we tend to focus our lives on. This is what consumerism does to us. All that we've talked about leads into this story. Genesis. One of three is not a story that happened one time in history. It's a a story that happens millions and millions of times throughout history, right? This story is our story as well. But as humans, we place our focus on what we don't have. And and then this talking serpent, right? A strange story that we think is a lot more normal than people who read this for the first time. This talking serpent comes in and, and talks to Eve. And what does the serpent say to Eve? Well, they have this conversation and and, and he trains her eyes on what? On the very thing that she cannot have. That God has said, this is the one thing that's off limits. See, consumerism, 
And a lack of contentment isn't just a 21st century problem. It's been around since the very beginning of time. And it trains our eyes on what we don't have. And what does gratitude do? Gratitude trains our eyes on all that we do have. And Adam and Eve, they eat from the tree they weren't supposed to. It's a story that I, I can tell you that same serpent's been on my soul, shoulder. And I've chosen to see the thing that's not mine rather than the thing that is mine. So think about this in, in the context of Genesis 3. This is the first sin, as Scripture tells the story of humanity. And what is it that causes the first sin in all of humanity? The first sin is a result of a lack of gratitude in the life of Adam and Eve. Rather than enjoying all that God had given them to enjoy, they fix their eyes on the one thing that has not been given to them. A lack of gratitude is at the heart of the fall in the very beginning. And when you think back on the sin in your life, you think back on those things that you've done that have been outside the frame, usually if you had trained your eyes to see all that you do have, it wouldn't have been so attractive. But man, if you... You fix your heart on the very thing you can't have. Any kind of dysfunction can show up. I love the way Rob Bell talks about this in one of his books. He says, gratitude is so central to the life that God has made for us. Until we can center ourselves on what we do have, on what God has given us, on the life we do get to live, we'll constantly be looking for another life. That is why the word remember occurs again and again in the Bible. God commands his people to remember who they are, where they've been, what they've seen, and what's been done for them. If we stop remembering, we may forget. And that's when the trouble comes. God has offered us so many things to enjoy in our lives. So many things to be content, to find contentment in. And I don't know about you, but I find that I sin more when I feel entitled to things. I sin more when I feel like God is somehow holding out on me with the one prohibition. I I sin more when, when I train my eyes on the things I don't have rather than on the things that I do have. We do this, don't we? We sin more when we train our eyes on those things we don't have, the things that are off limits. So one of the main ways to train to be a more righteous person in your life is the very thing you should have completed by this time, or be close to it. In this sermon, you've, you've battled entitlement. In this sermon, you've trained your eyes to see the things you do have rather than the things you don't. In this sermon, you've actually taken a step away from the sin that so easily entangles you, if you've done the task. And if not, let me encourage you to take it with you this week. Maybe you need to make this list a regular practice in your life. I would encourage you to do so because it's changing and forming my life. If your experience is anything like mine, if you do this over and over again, you're going to find more joy and contentment. You'll experience less entitlement. And somehow you'll find this miraculous power that's at work within you to to say no to sin when it pops up in your life as well. And I've said this to you before and I'll say it again and again. You will find what you're looking for. If you're looking for things to be cynical about, oh, you can find a whole host of things to be cynical about. And if you're looking for things to be critical about, you can find so many things to be critical about. But if you're looking for things to be joyful about, to be content about, to find your identity in that's close to Jesus, I'm telling you, the list is so long. 
And I want us to train our eyes on that list rather than the other. Let me close with some words from the Apostle Paul a little bit earlier in Philippians 4. Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Let's pray together as we close our time. God, in in my head right now, there are so many things that I can spend time thinking about that are just not enough. So many things that seem just outside the boundary of what's acceptable. And I've learned to train my eyes on things that are not of you, that don't bring any kind of life. But God, uh, we as a church are wanting to commit more and more to being people who train our eyes on the things we do have. The gifts of the people we're married to that sometimes we struggle to see as gifts. We want to train our eyes to see it that way again. Father, for our kids, when we held them in our arms for the first time, they were such gifts. And there are times in the middle of seasons, a little bit later in life, that it might seem a little more difficult. God, I pray that you would help us to train our eyes to see properly again. Father, there are so many blessings that come our way that we just feel entitled to. Somehow think that we've earned them on our own and no one else has gifted them. But God, I'm learning to see that everything in my life is a gift. It is all gift. And when I see it that way, it's amazing how low my expectations are and how great my joy is. So God, would you form us in this way? Even over the Thanksgiving table, maybe this is a practice we'll get to a appreciate with others this week just to ask that question what are you what are you grateful for and it's amazing how even that question will provoke what we don't have we'll turn that question but god a, a persistent eye to see that shapes our life in all the right ways so god this morning we thank you for all the things on the list in this room we thank you for the good things that are on these lists we thank you for the difficult things we're learning to see even better i thank you for the new relationships for the for the obvious things, the jobs that you've brought this week, for the healings you've brought, for the answered prayers, whatever it is in our lives, God, that's easy to see as, as things to be grateful for. We're, we're grateful for those. It's easy to see them. But God, even with the hard things, when we, we train our eyes to look deep inside to see how even these are gifts from you. This morning, God, I pray you would continue to form in our hearts the way of Jesus and a more grateful outlook. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. We pray.